How are y'all? You alive? Welcome to the 11 a.m. service for the first time in a few months. How many appreciate that extra hour sleeping in? I'll be honest. That 9 a.m. service smacked me in the face this morning. I was like, I set my alarm for 6.30, and I'm like, I love to spend time with the Lord before, on Sunday mornings, just prepping, prepping my heart, and just getting ready, and final things, just getting into the Word, and um, man, 6.30 came, snooze. 6.45 came, snooze. 6.50 came, snooze. 7, snooze. 7.10, I finally rolled out of bed, and I was like, oh, I missed the 10 a.m., but uh, anybody else, like, have a little hard time getting up today? How many enjoyed Independence Day? Yes, man, we live in a great nation. I, uh, I, I, I had the opportunity to volunteer. When Eli was four years old, we took him in the grass truck in a parade, Nicole and I. And we've not done that with our own kids. And uh, just timing and different parades and different things. And uh, the opportunity presented itself. I was like, I volunteer because I got to do it while my kids still think it's cool and Chloe still wants to be around me. So uh, we did the parade yesterday, and I'm in a big ladder truck, and I'm feeling all cool, and we're throwing out Frisbees, trying to hit people in the face, and no, I'm just kidding, uh, and suckers, we were throwing out candy, I was like, is this legal? You know, so anyway, it, I, I pulled up into the first street, and the streets were just lined with people, and I'll just be really honest with you, I began to just cry, because it was so powerful. And, um, you know, in our, in our nation right now, there's so much division, so much turmoil, so many issues and, and just things. And then when you just saw the streets lined with red, white, and blue and flags and cheering and clapping and everybody in unity, just thankful to be Americans and thankful for our nation and those who served in our independence, it was amazing. And on several occasions, I'm feeling real tough and big and cool in this big 100-foot aerial platform truck. And then all of a sudden, I'm just like crying under my sunglasses. <laughs> Just being moved. It was awesome. So, and last night, uh, we decided, and we're like, well, Troy, I knew Troy. I, had, I have some insider information, and Troy was using a different fireworks company. And um, uh, I used to oversee the fireworks and approve those and sign off and do all the safety stuff for those as, from the fire department. And I'm like, I knew they switched. So I was like, oh, this year, this first year, they're going to leave an impression. I was like, let's go to Troy. So we go to Troy, and we, we go to this area that's almost right under them, and it's awesome. And uh, what's cool is, all of a sudden, the grand finale happened. I was like, that was awesome. And then another grand finale. I was like, that was awesome. And then another grand finale. And then four grand finales. I was like, best fireworks ever. <laughs> Epic. It was so awesome. Anybody else go to Troy's? It was good. So I want to get into a message today. I've, oh, man, it was so good. I'm like, man, how do I do that again for the second time? And um, so this kind of leads into that. A lot of times uh, we get distracted by things. And I feel like this, we've been in a season of like three to four months of good distractions. And there's been all this chaos, turmoil, circumstances, civil unrest, unrest, racial issues, the COVID stuff. All these things are so many distractions. And just like last night, like my favorite thing is being with family and hanging out. And usually we do like a pool party somewhere. And it's just a lot of fun. But then my favorite part is the fireworks, especially the white booms. Those things, just you can like feel it in your chest, right? That's my favorite part. But the whole point isn't, isn't the pool parties. The whole point of yesterday isn't the fireworks. As much as we sometimes get distracted, the point is celebrating our independence as a nation and even honoring those who served and sacrificed so that we can still live in freedom, right? Same thing Christmas. Christmas isn't about gifts and commercialism, but we get distracted with that. It's about Jesus. Easter isn't about eggs. It's, it's about Jesus, 
and, and so on and so forth. And, and today, after uh, service today, we have a really cool, intimate, really small wedding. Tyler and Shelby are getting married today, and we're really excited to be a part of that and officiate that. And, and the thing is, though, we were meeting with them this week, and we were just, just talking about the order of the service and what's going to happen and, you know, the vows and all of this stuff. And what we tell every couple before we marry them is the importance and the focus should not be on the wedding or the ceremony, it's the marriage. And people will plan a year and, and go day and night planning for the wedding when the focus should always be the marriage. And I think that's kind of the season that we've been in. At times, we get distracted by the fireworks for the intentional purpose of what it is in our lives and what the Lord's doing. And that's really what I want to preach on today. And, and that's the thing. I feel like we've been in a season of distraction. And if you've been rolling with upper room for any amount of time, you realize, like, we'll feel this wind, we'll feel this momentum, and then all of a sudden there'll be a death or there'll be a major distraction. I feel like going into January, I went back, and my very first message, I studied it from the first message of the year on January 5th. It was the Arrow 2.0, and it was hitting your mark. And then it was a four-week series about releasing arrows, and in that, I talked about the tension, and I talked about the hardest thing of hitting your mark and actually being launched as arrows of us as individuals and a church to hit our mark is, is that tension and being held back. That's the hardest part. As an archer, as a bow hunter, when you pull back and you're held there and you're waiting for that, that target or that animal or whatever, uh, you, you're, you're held back in tension, and that is the tension that's oftentimes the hardest, but it's good. That's where we grow. That's, that's where James says, count it all joy, the trials you go through. Although it's hard, all of a sudden when you're released and you're launched, you're stronger and better than you ever were before, before you were held in that tension. I feel like this has still been that tension. It's still been that season of distraction, that season. And, and what's frustrating is we had so much clarity as a church, so much clarity uh, as, a, as a leader, as a person, as a, as a son of God. I had so much clarity knowing what we were pushing into and knowing what I was called to with legacy and generational convergence and all those things and launching arrows and me being launched as an arrow. Then all of a sudden, this, some of this stuff just hit me in the face, kind of like this morning's alarm clock. And I got distracted, and I began to press into the Lord, like, what are you doing? What, what does this look like? And, and here's, here's what he began to also remind me of. In October of 2018, we started this series called His Presence Transforms Blank. I don't know if you remember the sign up there. It was His Presence Transforms, and then there was a big blank. And each week, we filled in that word, and, and the first week was Mindsets. And we talked about wineskins and new mindsets. And then we went on to, to families. We went on to, to other different topics each week, marriages and society, all these things, how his presence transforms things. How many agree that in his presence, all these issues go away? God is not worried. God is not afraid of what's going on in America and the world right now. God is not afraid of the COVID virus. He's not afraid. He's not, he's not sitting in heaven afraid of what's going to happen and what's going on. In his presence, we begin to learn his narrative. We begin to learn and recognize his voice. We begin to, to just have peace and hope. And there's these things. And, and I begin to just, just spend time with the Lord and, and press into this. And he began to show me and reveal to me it's a new wineskin. And what we thought was going to work, we, we've taken almost a year and a half to rewrite new bylaws for the church. We've been growing, and we can't run and do things the way we've done them the last seven years in our finances, in, in our leadership structure, in the way that we disciple, in, in, in a delegation with authority, these things of empowerment. We can't do it the same. We're, we're growing. We, we're thriving. 
And we've been working the last year or so on working these bylaws, and I believe like there's been a delay and there's been these distractions, there's been these things because it's actually where the direction we're going wasn't what the Lord had intended, and now where there's a new wineskin. This is coming from Matthew in the ninth chapter, verse 17. He's talking about, this is the disciples of John the Baptist are asking Jesus why his disciples don't, don't fast. And you get to verse 17 here, and it says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. Then it says, new wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. I spoke on this message, and, and, and as, I, as I pressed back into that and leaned my heart back into that this week, really the last month, the Lord highlighted that very last part. And it says, so that both are preserved. And he began to show me that the Lord's not only concerned about what he's pouring out and what he's doing, but what he's doing it through and in. He's not, only, he's not only concerning himself of what he's doing, but how he's doing it or the structure within he's what he's doing in. It may not look like church as we've always known it. It may not look like ministry as we've always known it. It may not look like work or family or these things as we've always known it. Things are changing. We have cameras now. Ooh. We have live stream now. People can tune in from all over the universe to hear the word of the Lord, to hear worship, to exalt the Father, to encounter him, to be ministered to, to hear the gospel. These are amazing things. Welcome. But our ministry isn't focused on these distractions and all these things going on, but there's a new wineskin that's happening, and what happens and what worked always in the old may not work right now. Now, here's the thing. As I began to preach on that a couple years ago, or a year and a half ago, roughly, the Lord began to show me the real process of making wine. And, and back then, in the reference to a wineskin, was really an animal skin. They would take a, a cowhide or a skin of an animal, and they would, they would sew it together. They would pour everything in. And through the fermenting process, it would expand. And through the seams, the gases that weren't necessary would leak out. And what happened is then the wine would ferment. And at the end of the process, that animal skin, that wineskin, was actually left hard. It was very hard. It was a shell. It was, it was like a balloon expanded and then remained hard after that process. Now, here's the interesting thing is that every time the Lord gives us a new mindset or a new wineskin, he stretches us. And it feels a little uncomfortable and it feels a little odd. But here's the deal. We don't just forsake the past and the old and the history and what's gone ahead of us. We actually get to honor and drink from the fruit that that season bared. Let me, let me just... Fast forward here a little bit. The Lord is so open to a new thing, not just the next thing. He says, bring him a new song. So we want to know what the new thing is, but not just what the next thing is. What's the popular thing? What's, what's happening? What's, what's, what's relevant now? Ah, we don't care about that. What's the Lord doing? And I'm telling you that he's doing something from the old and something from the new so that when we have this new wineskin and it looks different, we get to actually take part of the fruit from the old season, use it in the new for what he's going to continue to do. Does that make any sense? It's this fun process to where we don't forsake our history and those, those forefathers ahead of us. We don't, we don't abandon that. But we take from that, and we honor that, and then we take from this place now, such a time as this, to advance the kingdom for the future generation. We're so excited. The leadership team, we've been pressing into what's this new season look like, and, and what's it going to entail? And I'm just here to say that there might be some Sundays that look a little different when you walk in here. 
Discipleship might look a little different. We've been leaning into what does discipleship look like? What does this generational convergence look like? And what does this look back like to come back to where the Lord was breathing on in January? Listen, there's some things with legacy and there's some things with family and there's some things with culture of family and culture of honor that we're not willing to forsake and that we're not willing to get rid of. There's some things that is focused on presence that we're not willing to just pursue a crowd. Let, let me just tell you, I, I don't care about crowds. I don't care about pleasing man. I don't care about opinions. Let me just tell you that. I, I'm the man here because I don't care. I don't need a salary from, from, from upper room. God has given me a heart after his heart and is allowing me to say, okay, Lord, what are you doing? So I begin to process this, like, what's this season? What's the new wineskin look like? Lord, what are you doing? And through all this distraction, through this chaos, through these social injustices, and let me just tell you, through these hard seasons, there's been a lot of good that's come out. There's been a lot of breakthrough. There's been a lot of amazing things. Now, there's been some really cruddy things, too. There's been some sifting and some squeezing and some, some shaking but I'm here to tell you, we're in a season that we actually get to, to, to get value from it. And let me just tell you this, before I get into this, the main message here, I am not afraid to raise children in this moment. I've heard people say, why would I bring kids into this, this, this world right now? Every generation has said that. Every generation has had trials. Every generation has had wars. This is nothing new. It's just different. I'm not afraid. Why? Because God does not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. Wisdom to navigate through it. And we were called for such a time as this. You were called for this moment of history right now in this present time for the kingdom of God to advance. And your children were not a mistake brought into this world. They too are on assignment. They too have purpose and calling and a mantle to pick up from the Lord to go. I'm not afraid of society and what's happening right now. It's a challenge, and I get to be part of the solution through Jesus Christ. And you do too. I'm not afraid. Not afraid. It's trying times. It's hard times. There's difficulties. There's economic impact. There's social issues. There's racial. There's, there's things going on, but I'm not afraid. So the Lord began to talk to me. He's like, study Elijah. <laughs> if this is your first week, deal with it. You got a crying pastor. He began to say, just study Elijah, like press in. And I remember this story in the Bible. Let's go. First uh, Kings 19. I very seldom do expository preaching, but today, after that large intro, is an expository message. It's time to get back on course. It's time to take back what the enemy's been trying to steal. It's time to hit our mark. It's time to be launched. It's time to get rid of distraction and noise and all the fancy fireworks and chaos that's going on and hear the voice of the Lord. Let's, uh, I'm going to read several verses here. I'm going to read 1 through 18, and then we're just going to pull out of that uh, here in a moment. We're just going to read through it now. Verse 1, 1 Kings 19, 1. When Ahab—now, now, let me give you the background a little bit here. Okay, so we had Elijah, the prophet Elijah, do the showdown with the prophets of Baal. Verse chapters 18 is talking at Mount Carmel. Uh, they're basically like, whose God is more powerful? Whose God's going to come down and bring fire to this altar? And, and, and Elijah's like, please, Lord, help. He's like, but even add water to it. And all of a sudden, God, our God, the Lord, the God of Elijah, brought fire to this thing. And then he took the prophets of Baal uh, down to a valley region and killed all 400, 450 of them. 
Then all of a sudden he's praying, and the end of 18 is actually he's having a little mercy on Ahab, King Ahab, and he's like, hey, he's praying for rain. And he's, and he's saying, warning Ahab, go, go, you better get home before the rain comes. And he's having his servant go check, do you see any clouds yet? He prays seven times. Sometimes we give up after one. Okay, Lord, you didn't do it, I'm fine. Sometimes we got to press into something. Even Elijah, he, he got down on his face, on his hands and knees, and he bowed to the Lord, and he's begging, and he's having faith. And then they see one small cloud. He's like, okay, all right, he's doing it. Go tell Ahab. And then all of a sudden they see the black clouds, and they see this come. And then, and then it says he gave him great strength, and Elijah outran Ahab's chariot and beat him there. Isn't God cool? This is just awesome. It's so rich in goodness. So then we get to chapter 19, and we'll get to the details here in a minute, but let's read when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Verse 5, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around there beside his head with some, bre some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Isn't that awesome? You're sleeping. An angel wakes you up and says, hey, eat. You got some stuff ahead of you. And you look, and there's like fresh donuts and, and grounds for pleasure coffee right there. It's like, oh, amen, hallelujah, fresh manna. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat more, or the journey, say journey, ahead will be too much for you. Verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank, and, and, he, and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Everybody say 200 miles. There weren't highways. There weren't Camaros and Lamborghinis. 200 miles on foot through wilderness. And it says, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. We're going to move on here. Verse, and it says, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Everybody say, wah. Verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Everybody say, the still, soft voice. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Everybody say, wah. Verse 15, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. Everybody say, go back. He just traveled 200 miles through wilderness, through rough terrain, through heat. 
through cold nights for 40 days and 40 nights. And now the Lord's saying, now go back. Look at your partner next to you and say, go back. The same way you came and traveled to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrived there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Maholah, to replace you as my prophet. I, I have no idea on those pronunciations. Just take it from my word that they were probably close. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elijah. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal and kissed him. 7,000 others. Everybody say 7,000 others. Now let's get into this a little bit. You, you mind if I dissect this a little bit for us today? I believe this is a direct correlation to the season that we're going through right now in, in the cosmos, in the world. I believe there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of distraction, there's a lot of wind and earthquakes and fire wanting to distract people when it's really what we're needed to be focused on is the still voice of the Lord, the whisper of the Father. Now what happens here, it begins in the chapter where Jezebel, everybody say Jezebel. Now, many times, Jezebel's thrown around, and the Jezebel spirit's thrown around all the time, and we think, oh, it's a perverted spirit. It's a promiscuous spirit. Well, the true heart of the Jezebel spirit is actually control. It's a controlling spirit. It's a controlling spirit that oftentimes even manifests in the way of, well, I can do better than you. Or why are they doing it that way? Or what are they thinking? Why would they do that? We have heard more suggestions, speculations, and things leading this church in the last four months than I've heard the previous seven years. <laughs> and opinions. Now, here's a good thing. I don't care about opinions. I don't care about popularity. I don't care about filling pews. I want to hear the still voice of the Lord to do what he's calling me to do, what he's calling upper room to do, what he's calling us to do in this moment of time, in this region, in this nation. There's this Jezebel spirit. And then here's what happens is a lot of times when, when we allow others then to control us, it changes our identity and who we are, and, it, and a seed is planted, and then it manifests into a fruit that's not a godly fruit. So we have this Jezebel controlling thing happening. Now here's what's funny is Ahab had to tell her what happened because she wasn't even there. Isn't it funny that a lot of times the people on the outside are trying to control the things on the inside? Why are they doing that? That's ridiculous. Why, why is that church doing it? Why, why are they worshiping? Why are they going back? Why are they going back on July 5th, a holiday weekend, to two services? Because God told us to. All right? I mean, there's a lot of empty seats here. We didn't do it to try to fill the pews. We did it because the Lord said, start then. So what happens is, then we have Elijah going away. He's fleeing for his life. He's trying to get away. He's trying to get to the wilderness. And all of a sudden, an angel wakes him up. And it says, now, you're, you got this journey. But first, he's like, I just want to die. Listen, a lot of times when we allow others' voice to be more apparent than the Lord's voice, we begin to convince ourselves of who we're not when God's always told us who we are. We allow that control to influence our lives to say, no, you're not a prophet. No, you're not a son of God. No, you don't have this anointing and this mantle and this purpose. No, you're not good enough. No, you're not pretty enough. No, you're not smart enough. No, you're not this or that. No. Say, Jezebel, shut up. Say, say Jezebel, shut up. She was the original control freak. She wanted to control everything. She wasn't even there. She wasn't even in the, in the story. But then Ahab comes back and she's going to just kill him because of what she's heard. 
And then it, it takes a seed in Elijah. And Elijah's in this place in the wilderness under this tree. And, and then he's like, I just want to die. I'm no better than my ancestors that have already died. Just kill me now, Lord. And then the angel wakes him up again after he eats. And he says, hey, you got a journey. Now, how many of you have ever been felt like you're hopeless? You're desolate. You're done. You're ready to give up. And the Lord's like, uh-uh. It's time to go. Am I the only one that's been there? Man, the last couple months have been so hard to navigate and lead through this mess and through all of these things. And I'll be honest, I'll be like, man, this stinks. And you got everybody saying, well, you should do this, you should do that. Why aren't you doing this? Why'd you do that? <laughs> because I didn't know what else to do, and I'm trying to follow the Lord. You ever led during a pandemic? It's a little weird. And then the Lord's saying, just as he's hopeless, the angel's saying, hey, hey, eat. The journey ahead's long. <laughs> Elijah's probably like, oh my gosh, are you serious? So where does he go? He goes to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the mountain of God. What's he know to do? What's his history? What's the well that he's pulling from? He's pulling from the well of the history of the Lord Say, okay, I'm confused. I need clarity. There's so much going on. I'm running for my life. I don't even know who I am right now. I just want to die. I need to get to the presence of God. That's the answer. It's not politicians. It's not CNN. It's not Fox News. It's not these things. It's not watching the riots and the protests. Listen, the answer is the presence of God. The answer is Jesus in all of these issues. Well, there's a spike in this, and there's stats. No, no, it's not in stats. It's Jesus. So we get to this place, and, 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 he's, and he's going on this journey, and, and he's crying to the Lord. And he's like, but, and then he, he, he gets to Mount Sinai. And I want to just, just focus on that. We're, we're near verse 11. It says, a windstorm came, blew rocks off, an earthquake came, shook the ground. How many believe, like, there is a shaking going on? There is a wind going through our planet right now. There is a fire that's burning, but God's not in all of it. We got to decipher, and then all of a sudden, it was the still, soft voice of the Lord that penetrated Elijah's heart and pulled him out of the cave season. I've had to get to some alone time recently and say, Lord, what's your narrative in this? What are you doing? This looks bad. This looks like division. This doesn't look like your bride. Even churches, it's just not looking like your unified, beautiful bride that you've intended. A lot of this, a lot of division and pulling away of disconnection when the Lord's calling us to unity and be a beautiful bride and people. So we get to this place, and it's, it's the still soft voice that changes the course of history. It's the still soft voice that silences all other voices and silences the voice of the Jezebel controlling spirit of who or what you're not, or what that circumstance isn't, or what that situation isn't. And then he says, and he says this, in verse 14, all of a sudden Elijah begins to whine again, and he repeats himself. Oh, but I'm the only one left. All the other prophets are gone. They've, they failed your covenants. Ah. 
It's only me. I'm the only one. I'm the only one working at the church. I'm the only one mowing the grass. I'm the only one taking out the trash. I'm the only one serving in the kids' ministry. Anybody, any, anybody sound like anybody at work, at home? I'm the only one at home. I'm the only one taking out the trash. No, kids don't even do it. They just let me do everything. They don't even care. They just watch YouTube all day. <laughs> Play the video games. Or for me, my world is oftentimes the fire department, which is hilarious because every shift says the exact same thing. It's like, we're the only ones that fold towels and do the line. We're the only ones that runs a dishwasher. Everybody else leaves us dirty dishes all day. We've got to be the only ones that mop the floors and clean the, the truck. I mean, this is just our world. And it's funny. We joke around about it, that, that, that the shift before you never does anything. You do it all. Well, this is what Elijah's doing. He's like, it's only me. I'm the only one. I'm the Anybody else had those pity parties before? Never. Just me? No, we have. Why? Because we start to listen to Jezebel. Why? Because we start to focus on others and what others are doing or not doing or saying or not saying instead of focusing on the presence of God and hearing his voice from my heart, from my life for this season. Is it, can, this, can anybody relate to this? And then he says this. He says, all right. Time to go back. <laughs> I chuckled when I read this. Of like 200 miles through the wilderness to get to Mount Sinai to be pulled out by a still, soft, gentle voice. I'd been like, why couldn't you do that under the tree 40 days ago? It was that still, soft voice. It wasn't through the distraction. Listen, and if you know the history of Mount Sinai, so many people had encountered the Lord there, including Moses. And it was wind and fire that encountered the, the Moses through the Lord. It was the cloud and wind and fire. It was the earthquake. Like, so now he's saying, no, Mo, no, no, Elijah, you're not going to get it like, like Elijah got it. First off, how many know that there is a journey in our mess? There's a journey just when we're ready to give up, just when things aren't going our way, just when things are at an all-time low and we are hopeless. There's a journey that the Lord is using to pull us out of that place, to be refined in another place in a different way than anybody else has ever had before, to go back to that place. We want to give up. Well, let me just tell you what. It's time to go back. It's time to go back and take what the enemy's stolen. It's time to go back and get what the enemy's tried to take from you, your family, your identity, your inheritance, your legacy. It's time. It's time to go back. It's time to go back to do our first love, our first works, and do them over again. It's time. It's going to look different. It's going to be a new wineskin, but it's, it's time to go back. It's time to go back to January to start mapping out what discipleship looks like again, what legacy looks like again, what generational convergence looks like again. It's time to go back. A lot of times it's in those, those, those places where we go back and we, 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 we honor history a bit, and all of a sudden the Lord gives us a fresh flame. Before Joshua took the people into the promised land, they stopped at this creek bed and they, and they, they circumcised all the men who hadn't yet been circumcised. And then they healed for two weeks and they honored the fathers and grandfathers above them before they went into the promised land. A lot of times our victories in honoring those who have sacrificed for us before us. You gotta go back. Sometimes it's going back to that hymn that touched us. Sometimes it's going back, even though it's going to be a different encounter, to that place where the Lord, still soft voice, was present. Sometimes it's going back to that place or that prayer garden or that prayer closet or that private time or that first morning time. Sometimes it's going back. 
Some of us, we're, we're distracted right now by the wind and the earthquake and the fire, and we're pulled out of those seasons of intimacy with the Lord, and we can't even hear his still, soft voice, and we begin to listen to the Jezebel next to us in the other cubicle. We begin to listen to the Jezebel on Facebook saying things should be this way or that way. No, it's time to go back, and it's time to take our inheritance back. It's time. It's time to get back on course. It's time to get back on track. It's time to get our compass in alignment with the Father and go true north again. It's time to go back to righteousness. It's time to go back to the Word. It's time to go back to spending time and worshiping and adoring the Father. It's time to go back and focus more attention on Him than CNN. It's time to go back and focus more attention on Him being the solution to these issues than us complaining about it and telling everybody else what we think. It's time to go back. Everybody say, it's time to go back. Say, I'm going back. I'm getting back what's mine. John 10, 10, it says, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. The enemy's tried to steal things away, but it's time to get them back. It's time to go back. Let me, let me forward here and, and close. The band can come. Here's the thing. After he went back, the assignment was three different things. Here's what's amazing is that we have purpose. You have assignment. Even when you are hopeless, even when you want to give up and you want to die, the Lord has not given up on you. At times we give up on the Lord, but the Lord has never given up on you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing, no height, no depth, no principality, no dark. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now we want to give up. We want to quit. We just want to, all right, I'm done. I talked to a friend once, and uh, I called him, another pastor. I was like, I'm done. I was like, I want to give up. He's like, Aaron, you can't give up. I said, no, I'm done. It's not worth it. He's like, Aaron, no one ever said it was going to be worth it. No one ever said there wasn't going to be hardship. No one ever said there wasn't going to be a journey. He's like, Aaron, you can't give up. He's like, but I'll tell you what I do. He's like, I write a resignation letter anytime I want to give up. I just don't give it to anybody. <laughs> He's like, I've written nine. <laughs> this was two years ago. Who knows? I was like, I want to give up. He's like, you can't give up. All of a sudden, three assignments come, and it's about the next generation. And then... All of a sudden, he's like, now, Elijah, he's, he's going to be your one. You're going to pass the mantle down. And we know the history of Elijah. The very next set of verses goes into Elijah finding Elijah and putting a cloak over him while he's plowing fields. That's significant of identity, authority, a covering, a son of blessing. And then all of a sudden he goes through this journey and Elijah was tempted through all these other opportunities to lead in other cities, but he wanted the double portion. He wasn't taking his eyes off the promise of God and the plans he had. And then all of a sudden when the mantle dropped, when, the chariot, when Elijah went up in a chariot of fire, the mantle dropped, Elijah picked it up, and then he was a son of inheritance. There's always a significant moment in our time where we go from son of blessing to son of inheritance. And Elijah was, was, was saying, okay, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to be done. And God says, nope, uh-uh. There's been a journey. You're hopeless, but now you go back. And now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do this. And then here, I'll end it with this. He says, and there are 7,000 others worshiping me who aren't bowing to Baal that you can be with. 
Now, I, I love this part of the father's heart because he doesn't scold him. Now, now, Elijah's whining. He's like, I'm the last one. There's no one left. I'm the only prophet. You've killed all the other prophets. They've killed them all. But here's what God says. Uh-uh. Elijah, you're not alone. There are 7,000 others. Listen, upper room, you're not alone. There are all these others with you worshiping the Lord. Listen, believers, sons and daughters, followers of Christ, you are not alone. There are thousands of other believers following Christ, not paying attention to politics or media or being controlled by all these things that are worshiping and hearing the still, soft voice of the Lord and going back and claiming what's theirs. <laughs> Woo, we're not alone. The Lord is doing something. But it's time to go back. I don't know about you, but I get really weird when I start to get controlled. Like, that Jezebel thing, that really messes with me. And I start to get mad. So, like, I've had instances when schools think they can parent my kids better than me. I've been, and it's probably because I was such a rebellious child so terrible in school and like all these things and was arrested a couple times so like when government or media or schools or all these things start to like want to control me I'm like, mm -mm, no. so my wife and I we celebrated our anniversary spent a couple days in Florida and we were in a county where the masks were required in all buildings no matter what so we're walking around our hotel lobby and in our hallway having to wear a mask so we go into this one um, souvenir shop and, and I'm not dishonoring rules or government or anything doesn't mean I agree with it. I'm just not dishonoring it. So I'm wearing a mask. The ones our girls made us wear out a t-shirt, so it's like real loose. Kind of fell below my nose. I walk in the store, and Nicole's in front of me, and the lady working there, she's like, Sir, you need to pull the mask above your nose. It needs to cover your face. And like inside of me, I just wanted to like... I'm just kidding. Not a woman. But I did. I was so mad. I was like, I will not be controlled. I am free. I have experienced the freedom in America. I have experienced the freedom to worship. I have experienced the freedom in Christ to be no longer entangled with a yoke of bondage or sin. But I'm free. So when all of a sudden something wants to control me, this other person comes out. And like, kind of reminds me of my dad at times. Like, like my dad's a lamb, but he's a lion a lot. And I grew up with a lion as a father who... John Reed in here? He was earlier. So, all of a sudden, here's, here's my reaction. Now, now, there is a shaking going on. There is an earthquake. There is a wind. There's a fire. There is a squeezing happening in our culture right now. And what's coming out when you're squeezed? Is, am, I, am I paying attention to this control? Am I paying attention to this wind, earthquake, and fire that's not the Lord? Or am I waiting for the still, soft voice? So, inside, still sinful, I wanted to just, like, start kicking over, like, shells and stuff like throwing coffee cups and shot glasses no, I'm just kidding I really didn't. but I'm like Nicole I'll see you. I'll be outside <laughs> try to keep it clean you know keep it classy so I just walked out now there's something that happens that we should all be like that when the Jezebel spirit tries to control us we should all, something should rise up when our identity is being stolen, when our assignment, when our purpose, when our mantle is being challenged by the enemy. Something inside us should say, uh-uh, I'm going back and I'm taking back what's mine because the enemy can't have it. Can't have my kids, can't have my marriage, can't have my job or my finances or my kids. 
uh-uh, I'm going back. Something should rise up in all of us. It says, uh-uh, no, not today. No, not today, Satan. Why don't you stand with me? I believe the Lord has an encounter for all of us. And I believe at times we get tempted to follow the more exciting things like wind, earthquakes, and fire. We get distracted by fireworks. But the heart of the Father is calling you. I had these points I forgot. Let me end with this. It's points you can't fulfill your purpose when. When you try to control others or other situations, when you allow others to control you, or even you focus on others. Let, let me, let me re-say that. You cannot complete your assignment that the Lord has for you, the purpose, if you control others or focus more on other people or other situations more than yourself with the Lord or Him Himself. The other thing is, when you allow others' influence and control to, to speak louder to you inside than what the Lord is speaking, then you can't fulfill your assignment. Listen, you cannot listen to, to others of what they're saying you're not when God all along has been saying who you are. I'm not that. Nope. That might be my past, but that's not me. That may have been the old man that died before the cross, but that's not me. I'm a new man. I'm a new creature in Christ. That, that old man, he's dead, and every once in a while I need to remind him in souvenir shops that he's still dead. But he's dead. That's not who I am. And then the last thing is, anytime you get off track. Now here's the grace and mercy. Now here's the cool thing. In, in Romans 10 and 11, Paul actually references this exact phrase that Elijah's saying about, about basically not being the last one. All the other prophets were killed. They've denied the covenant, all that. So, so what's happening is, now Paul says, and then it goes into a message of mercy and grace. Now this is really amazing because out of his journey and his mess and his hopelessness, all of a sudden, Paul begins to reference it and say, no, his mercy now gives us an opportunity to know Christ through the gospel, and we Gentiles now get to say yes to Jesus. And everybody who sees this can be jealous now because we have hope in Christ. Romans 11. It's this beautiful story how, how Paul changes this narrative of what was going to happen if he listened to Jezebel to what now is available to all of us, not just a prophet. It's time to go back. It's time to be launched. It's time to take back what's ours. And it's time to hit our marks. There might be tension, but it's time. Here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to start you in prayer. And, and our, the band here, they've been amazing. Thanks for your sacrifice. They practiced Thursday, showed up early today. Two times. It's hard to get used to this again. And um, thank you. But they're going to lead us. And I believe there's an encounter here for all of us. After the last service, I just began to weep because the Lord is doing something so sweet here today, right in this moment. He's rewiring mindsets. He's, he's, he's rewiring things and he's, he's relaunching people and he's giving new identities while at the same time allowing us the power to go back and take what's ours. 
He's doing something in our minds and our hearts today. He's doing something. There's, there's something. There's a new wineskin. There's a new wine. There's something on this. And I believe it's an open invitation for an encounter with the Lord that's not going to look like Moses. That's not going to look like Elijah. It's going to look like you as a very son or daughter of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and we're just going to open it up. And this was very sweet last service. You stay as long as you want. We're going to pray, play for at least 10, 15 minutes. We'll, we'll be really respectful of their time. But I believe the Lord can do a deep encounter in 10 or 15 minutes. So here's the deal. What I want you to do is just, just right now receive and then just get comfortable and go to Mount Sinai. Go to the mountain of God. Go to his presence because he transforms things. He's going to do something. He's going to do something. So, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you that you came to give life and life more abundantly, that we are going to go back and take what's ours, that we're not alone, that you are with us and others are with us, God. And we thank you that we are taking back what the enemy has tried to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus, we thank you for a journey with you. We thank you that even in hardship and that tension, you do good things. Lord, we will not be controlled by the enemy. We will not be controlled by wind or earthquake or fire that's not you. But we will be controlled and we will be overwhelmed by your tangible love and your still soft voice. We will, our identities will be called forth in your goodness, God. We thank you, Jesus, that you're good. That our circumstances or the trials going on right now don't define your goodness or integrity. You are always good. We bless you, Jesus. And right now, we just ask for deep encounters. You say, ask, it'll be given. Knock, it'll be open. Anything we can ask in your name, you'll do. So right now, we just ask for deep encounters. Encounter us the way we need it individually with you, Jesus. We thank you. Hey, this altar area is open, the aisles, whatever, and we're just going to play, and uh, we're just going to seek the Lord. So whatever that looks like for you, you've got an Elijah moment right now, a moment to Mount Sinai, a moment that a still soft voice may change the course of history forever. God bless you guys.